0: Hey there adventurer, I appreciate you taking the time to do an investigation check and dig into the archives of the show. I wanted to let you know that this is an old episode back when the show was called The Hard Thing Podcast. The topics are still the same, though the format and some of the names are different. If instead you are coming back to The Hard Thing Podcast, well, surprise, we changed our name and some of our branding. Feel free to hang out in the archives and listen to all the wonderful old episodes of The Hard Thing Podcast or take on a new adventure by listening to some of our current episodes. Either way, happy adventuring.
1: I, I knew because growing up, my mother was bipolar. And so and she didn't recognize it. And we didn't understand what was going on until I was in my 20s. She would be laid up in bed for times. She would just be gone. Then she would be there. And so growing up, I got to see what it was like from the child's viewpoint of a parent with mental illness. And eventually she was able to figure it out, get it on track. And, and I have a really good relationship with her. And I've always always have. And it put me on a road to where I saw that side of things. And then the other side of things, I saw my father, who was an entrepreneur, who had his own business. And I saw how much he worked and how hard he worked and how much he struggled to get through things sometimes. And and so both of those things came together and, and it created the idea around me wanting to help get people well and wanting to put people in a place of, of happiness or a place to where they don't suffer anymore. and They realize they don't have to live in pain because there is a solution out there. Even if it's not in the modern medical structure, quote unquote, on the Western mm-hmm. world, there is a way to figure it out because growing up, my mother did not, she didn't go to a doctor and they said, you have bipolar disorder. She had to, over the course of like 12 years, she had to work through different things, different ideas, different medications, different talk therapy strategies. till she finally figured out how it can make sense for her. And so I wanted to be able to put myself in a position to where I had the ability to fast track that for people and not put them on a lifelong road to suffering.
0: This is the Hard Thing Podcast. Today, we are overcoming average. I want to welcome you to another episode of the Hard Thing Podcast. This is the podcast that helps you overcome average, step up above mediocrity, all by doing hard things. We want to give you the tips, tricks, tools, tactics, whatever you need to overcome average and step up above mediocrity. We want you to have a better life, and to get to that better life, you have to go through some hard things, so we're going to help you do it. Today is our Monday show, so you'll hear from me and a guest. Before we get into that, a couple pre-show announcements. So first thing is I want to invite you to share the podcast with someone you know. Think about someone who would really enjoy listening to this and get some value out of this program. Go ahead and share it with them. Second thing Go to GoFundMe.com overcoming average and help us raise $1,000 for Operation Underground Railroad. They are a nonprofit organization that goes undercover to rescue kids from sex trafficking, which is a horrible thing. They need lots of help. It's a big job, and it's honestly very dangerous. And all of it costs money, so help us raise $1,000 to help them save some kids. Now, let me talk about my guest today. My guest is Chandler Walker, one of the founders of Stone Age Fuel, and he runs a wellness Uh, center that has provided results for thousands of people and today we talk a lot about wellness what exactly it means and how you achieve it so with no further ado let's listen up to my conversation with Chandler Walker all right well thank you for being on the show Chandler I am excited to have this
1: conversation with you today Yeah, thanks for having me. Super pumped to be here and hopefully we can give a ton of value to everybody out there listening and they don't glaze over and fall asleep while listening to it, especially if they're driving around. (laughs) Yeah, that would be really bad. Um, So let's start off with the
0: question I like to ask all my guests. Uh, I feel like this gets right to the meat of the discussion. What is the
1: hardest thing you've ever done? I think the hardest thing I've ever done is opening up a business out of something that I initially wanted to do. So when I was in college for biology and biochemistry, at the time I thought I was going to go on a med school track. And I started precepting and I started kind of getting an idea of what it liked. And I felt like I was going to be in too much of a position to have to give people pills and essentially (laughs) just manage pain versus being able to get rid of pain. So I made the the really tough decision to forego that experience and forego that road and move into a road where I opened up my own wellness center. I opened up my own business and I essentially did it on my own. And so I think the most difficult part about that was I didn't have the support of like the medical infrastructure that you get. I had just myself and I had the business I opened and and that was it. And then you have to figure it out. And I was 26 at the time. So it's like... The first year, we slept on our couch in the back of the office because we didn't realize that when you open a business, you either have staff do things or you do everything. And so initially, we did everything. And after my little sister called me a vampire because I would get (laughs) up at like 4 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, go to the facility, and I would come home at like midnight and do it all over again. So I never saw saw the light of day. And then she thought I was a vampire because of it. Well, (laughs) that is a crazy story, especially
0: because, I mean, not a lot of people are willing to live that kind of lifestyle, even for a year or two in order to make things happen. You mentioned that um, you you didn't go to med school because you felt like you would be managing pain rather than preventing pain. Um, when did you know you wanted to help people's
1: pain? I, I knew because growing up, my mother was bipolar. And so, and she didn't recognize it. And we didn't understand what was going on until I was in my 20s. She would be laid up in bed for times. She would just be gone. Then she would be there. And so growing up, I got to see what it was like from the child's viewpoint of a parent with mental illness. And eventually she was able to figure it out, get it on track. And, and I have a really good relationship with her. And I've always, always have. And it put me on a road to where I saw that side of things. And then the other side of things, I saw my father who was an entrepreneur, who had his own business. And I saw how much he worked and how hard he worked and how much he struggled to get through things sometimes. And and so both of those things came together, and, and it created the idea around me wanting to help get people well and wanting to put people in a place of of happiness or a place to where they don't suffer anymore. and They realize they don't have to live in pain because there is a solution out there. Even if it's not in the modern medical structure, quote unquote, on the Western <laughs> world, there is a way to figure it out. Because growing up, my mother did not, she didn't go to a doctor and they said, you have bipolar disorder. She had to, over the course of like 12 years, she had to work through different things, different ideas, different medications, different talk therapy strategies. till she <laughs> finally figured out can make sense for her and so i wanted to be able to put myself in a position to where i had the ability to fast track that for people and not put them on a lifelong road to suffering wow Um,
0: and specifically for those who aren't familiar with bipolar especially because i feel like maybe people don't understand bipolar as well as they should they have this kind of you know you're happy and you're sad can you explain exactly how bipolar disorder manifests
1: yeah, so the way it manifests in terms of an analogy that I like to use, it's like having an ice ice cube and a hot fire. There is no in between. You're either on ice or you're on the fire, and and so that's what bipolar disorder manifests as. People are either in a state of, of they're either just in a depressed state. They don't feel good about themselves. They don't want to get out of bed. They don't want to move. And it there's no you can't just tell them think happy thoughts. There's that doesn't get fixed and it doesn't can't accommodate them in that way. Or they're in a state to where everything's good, everything's hunky dory. They're on a high. They're happy. They're crushing it. But it goes in these big waves, and you can't they often can't control these waves. So you'll find these people can't hold a job. They can't can't get out of bed very often, very well, uh, and they just end up in these states to where they can't live a normal lifestyle because of the ups and downs they consistently go through. And it's not normal ups and downs like a normal person. It's it's radical up. So you go the lowest low to the highest high.
0: Mm-hmm. That's I can't imagine having to live with someone like that or or be that way, have to deal with that, and still be expected to live you know a normal lifestyle as someone in their family. I mean, I'd imagine you would learn some, not necessarily coping methods, but strategies to help them live a better life and help you guys live a better life in the family. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I think as a child growing up in that kind of environment, you can go one of two ways. And I see this a lot with people I work with even nowadays. Either Mm -hmm. the child becomes frustrated and angry towards the parent and holds a grudge against them forever, not realizing Mm -hmm. that the parent isn't necessarily in 100% control of their actions. Or you learn to build a deeper relationship with that parent. You develop a strong level of empathy with that person, and you're able to manage, and and it creates a stronger you for the future. And I think more often than not, the child becomes frustrated and angry because Mm -hmm. creating empathy from a young age is a very difficult position to put someone in.
0: Yeah. What advice would you give to someone to choose the latter option?
1: I think if you're in this situation or if you're in some, even if it's someone in just a generalized depressed state, you have to get away from the idea that they can control their thoughts and actions. Because in a general sense, we have the ability to control our thoughts and actions, but when we suffer from mental illness, for whether it's bipolar disorder or depression or even anxiety or anything like that, you these people, they don't have the control you think they do over their emotions. They don't have the, the ability to think happy thoughts and be happy. They don't have the ability to look up and, and all of a sudden be good again and be ready to go. They don't. They feel like they're the lowest of low. They feel like they're the worst people on earth, and because they feel that way, it manifests itself in a state Of anger, or a state of I don't care, or a state of extreme sadness into other people. And so, in order to deal with that, you have to look into the eyes of the person who's suffering and say, This isn't the person who I think it is. This is a person being controlled by an illness. And I have to recognize and realize this illness. It's just as serious as breaking an arm. It's just as serious as someone with psoriasis all over their body. And so I have to look into their mindset and say, okay, if they can't control their thoughts and actions, how can I be empathetic to organize the way I interact with them in a way to where it's not creating anger on my part. It's creating not even sympathy, but it's creating the ability to interact with them in a way to where you don't feel like you're you're in a bad place with them. Mm -hmm.
0: Is depression one of the... Not, uh, I, I guess, is depression one of the conditions you work with in your cl- in, in your wellness center?
1: Yeah, we we work with six pillars of wellness, basically. So, and we we use a what we call a biopsychosocial approach, which means that we use the human biology, the social characteristics, and a bunch of other things combined to create an approach that's a, a lot different than most, but works a lot better because it has a, these six pillars combined. We call it the angular momentum method. And and the reason we call it that is because angular momentum in physics is a circle. And inside a circle, momentum stays consistent and constant. So in your life, you want your momentum and your happiness and the way you feel to be consistent. You don't want to be on this roller coaster of ups and downs. Even if you're not, even if you don't have a mental health problem, you want these consistent circles to be able to go without going off on the rock on the deep end. And so what we do is we work with people on uh, the first pillar is mental health, second pillar is social health. And social health is like your relationship with your family, your relationship at work, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with the spiritual creator. If you believe in that kind of thing, a lot of people do. So I think it's important to have it in there. The third pillar is sleep. Our sleep has to be in order. Fourth pillar is nutrition. Fifth is fitness. And the final pillar is wealth. And wealth is like financial management. Because if you're struggling over money and you're over being able to afford things, well, then you're, everything else is going to suffer. And it's going to put you right back on this roller coaster of chaos. Well. Wow. Uh, That's so interesting. You said you start with the mental pillar. Yeah. So, and this is the way it works. It's kind of like baking a cake. So if, if an average person comes to me and we work with a lot of just everyday people who want to like, they come in, they want to lose weight, but they right. haven't been able to do it for a year or they come in, they, they're working out six times a week, but they're not losing weight. They're not gaining weight. They're just not happy. And so right. the reason that we have six pillars in that order is because it's like baking a cake. You have to put the ingredients together in the right order. If you bake the cake and you put like frosting on first and stuff throw some flour on top of that, put some pickles on it and throw it in the oven, you've got a disaster yeah. on your hands. And that's typically what people do in their wellness. They go and they think they need to focus on nutrition first. They, they focus on fitness and they kill themselves in the gym. But in reality, mental health has to come first because if even if we're not suffering from a depressive state, if you're not in the mindset to develop and use and create healthy habits to be consistent, you're gonna be in a, a roller coaster of success and failure. So you're gonna start a diet plan. You're gonna stop t- 21 days later because it, it was just too hard. It didn't fit in your lifestyle. Mm-hmm you're going to start working out and then you're going to stop because you, you, it's just too hard. You're going to try to start doing anything in your social environment. You're, the people around you won't support you. So you'll just quit. So we have to get the mindset in order and develop healthy habits around the way we think about ourselves and the way we do things first. And that allows us to be consistent. And this creates what I call like the lifestyle concept. So for me, what I teach people to do has to help them work through the rest of their lives. I think too many people in this industry, uh, life coaches, fitness coaches, nutrition coaches, they want you to pay them for the rest of your life, which doesn't help you because it doesn't teach you how to do anything. So my philosophy is I need to teach you how to do exactly what you need to do to succeed for the rest of your life. So pay me once and never pay anyone again. And so that's why mental health comes first. We have to have the healthy habits established. We have to have the mindset. We have to remove self-defeated behavior and destructive thoughts. And then we can dip into social health because now we can say, okay, what are the environments I can move myself into to ensure that I'm going to be successful in what I'm doing everywhere else? Because if your social environment isn't in order, if you have a boss you hate, you're going to hate your life at work. If you have mm-hmm. family members who are jerks to you or who you don't get along with, you're going to hate your life at home. If you have friends who aren't supportive and tell you you're never going to succeed, well, then you're not <laughs> going to do it because you're going to start to believe it. Uh, and then we right. dip into sleep. So before you can start a good diet plan, you have to get your sleep in order. And the reason why is because you're going to release two different hormones. If you don't sleep enough, you're going to release a hormone that tells you to eat more. So guess what? Now you're going to eat more crap or you're going to just eat too much and not be able to Mm -hmm. achieve your success in nutrition. If you sleep enough, you're not going to release, you're going to release another hormone that tells you not to eat as much. So now your nutrition is going to be on point without even having to change your diet. Then we switch into nutrition and so nutrition has to come before fitness and the reason behind this is because if your your nutrition's 90% of your results in terms of both body composition and your mental health so it's going your gut brain connection is profound so if your nutrition is in order then your fitness is actually going to be able to allow you to eat more healthy food because if you just start mm-hmm. fitness and you don't uh, pick up your nutrition well then you just can eat more crap and so that's kind of – and then the last pillar, of course, is wealth that we look at because we need finances to be in order. And if those aren't in order, then everything else crumbles. And so the whole right. thing was organized from – I think I worked with uh, two to 4,000 people. And and over the course of the last 10 years, I figured out that these are the steps that we need to use in order to achieve success, both removing like mental health conditions like depression, losing weight, uh, getting back on track, removing self-defeated thoughts, getting a promotion at work. And, and that's really how we figure this out. Well, th- I mean –
0: as you were explaining that to me, it, it it does make so much sense, you know. So, so you said you start with the mental, uh, I guess, paradigms, and you got to get their mindsets right. And you mentioned habits. What sort of habits do you prescribe to someone? And maybe prescribe's not the right word in this context, but uh, for lack of a better word, you recommend that they do in order to start getting their mental uh, realm right.
1: Yeah, so we use cognitive behavior therapy or coaching in most of our, our modules and the, everything behind what we do and, and so what we do to create good habits is once a week we instill and help you adopt a new habit and our program that we go through is 12 weeks so every week you, you instill and you work on one habit at a time and mm-hmm. the reason behind that is the habits that we're instilling are micro habits. And if we get a micro habit every week, within 12 weeks, we have a massive habit change that we've created, but you haven't realized it's happened because it's been incremental at scale, which allows you to see little successes and then you achieve the big success because you've been doing it. And so when mm-hmm. we look at these healthy habits, some of the habits that we look at are, okay, how do you, how do you schedule your properly? Well, like a lunatic with your thing mapped out 24-7 but how do you map out your day so you get rid of the idea that I'm busy or you get rid of the idea that mm-hmm. I don't have any time because you do have time right. you just have to figure out how to map it out and how to organize it and we go into using a sleep diary and a sleep journal so how am I mapping out my sleep and making sure that I have quality sleep happening we move into modules around creating effective habits around your morning routine so what does your morning routine do you look like do you wake up and lay in bed for two hours or, or what do we do to get this day kick started for success and so we have an entire morning routine built around that next habit another habit that we look at is creating successful and healthy habits while traveling so what do you do when you're traveling do you just go off the rocker and eat five <laughs> cheeseburgers and 12 liters of cola or do you develop a habit to where you can sustain and not be a crazy person about it and, and so like you don't have to go out and travel and carry like your peanuts and jerky with you and eat a lettuce right. burger it's like be able to go out and have fun have a few beers but also maintain a pretty habit-based lifestyle to where you're still mostly healthy. And, and so every week we instill one of these new habits in order to allow these people to achieve this success and, and do this long term. And so we avoid the idea behind, like, we don't, we don't look at fad diets. We don't look at anything that's not going to last beyond the 12 weeks because then you're not going to be successful. And then you have to go pay someone to help you again.
0: Well, That sounds very holistic. Um, have there any been, have there ever been any clients that maybe are resistant or hesitant, and and how did you help them get past that resistance?
1: Yeah, so everybody who wants to become a client, I do an hour-long phone call with first. 30 Mm -hmm. minutes of it is straight, I I interview you, see where you're Mm -hmm. at, what you're looking for, what position you're in, and then we invite you in the program. Uh, And then this is kind of like getting my analogy, it's kind of like getting into med school. It's the hardest thing in the history of the world to get into, but once you're in, Mm -hmm. they won't let you out.
0: And so we (laughs) do the same
1: thing. It's hard to get in, but once you get in we meet with you, we have a Every day you get a message from me. That's like what we call like a heat check. So it's one through 10, how today go? And it's not to Mm -hmm. get someone to say every day, like, hey, I'm a 10. It's tell me exactly and truthfully where you're at so we can work together as a team to make sure this is successful. So if I get Mm -hmm. someone messaged me, man, today was a two, it was a horrible day. And then I'll respond back, hey, totally get it. We all have these days. What are we gonna do to make tomorrow a four? And so we work together to create communication and create healthy habits in our own brain and mindset to start thinking about progressive pathways for the future of success versus dwelling on how bad like today was Uh, and then also once a week we get on a coaching call we chat about what's going on we're pretty religious about tracking metrics so we have Mm -hmm. weekly reports we look at we have data tracking metrics for sleep uh, weight, a mindset inventory we have so that way I can not only talk to you and understand where you're at but I can also look at the data and understand whether or not we have positive or negative correlations associated with our progress Wow It sounds like you
0: guys use a lot of data and analytics as well as just a personal touch
1: with working with your clients. Exactly. And I call it like a hybrid approach. So everybody in today's economy wants to like automate everything and create this automated Mm -hmm. thing. Like I never have to talk to another human again in my life, which (laughs) for me it doesn't work because my only metric of success, the only thing I ever care about and I'm obsessed with 24 seven is, is the client success. If we're not mm-hmm. seeing 97, 98% success rate across the board, we need to scrap the entire thing and, and do new things because we're doing it wrong. So that's yeah. why we have the human touch.
0: Quick pause on the show guys uh, you are trying to become as fit as possible like we talk about today you have so much to get there you have the six pillars and the number five is fitness so in order to make sure you get all of the right supplements for your fitness go to allegiance or er, go to one mission nutrition which is at allegiance mission slash the heart thing podcast you can get a 10% discount today uh, get all the supplements you need for your working out purposes And in doing that, you will help support the troops because every project product you purchase goes towards making a strength box for a soldier overseas. While you're doing that, though, let's get back to the show.
1: Meeting with people one on one, giving them the ability to message and communicate with us, and allowing them to see the data we're tracking, allow them to understand whether or not we have positive or negative correlations with progress is huge. Because the the number one most important thing for success, in my opinion, and, and based on what we've seen over the last ten years, is someone holding your hand along the way. And, and so you can go out and and this is why if you go buy a forty seven dollar ebook on Instagram from like the bikini body influencer or whoever the latest greatest fad is, you're going to mm-hmm. buy it and you might get it. You're probably just going to not ever use it or do anything with it because there's that, guy, that person isn't going to contact you. They're not going to talk to you. They're not going to take their time right. out of the day to check in on you every day. And they're not going to be that focused to success. Wow. So it, really having someone
0: there who is pushing you and walking with you through, I guess, all the hard things you're
1: doing, that's the key, it sounds like. Yeah, that's the key. And this is, is, in my opinion, why people can't be successful. They don't have a mentor. They don't have a coach. They don't have someone focused on their own success and someone who can get them back on track. Like with us, We'll see we have an app and a whole online infrastructure. But so people will log on and we send them a message inside our app center every day. We have an in-app messaging center. And we have a protocol. If we don't hear from you in two days, we'll text you. Hey, did you die? What happened? Where'd you go? We lost you. <laughs> and then if we don't if we don't respond to that text, the protocol next day is a phone call. So we'll go through all sorts of different monochromes to make sure that we get a hold of you and get you back on the path to success. And people are super enthusiastic about that because they say, like, you actually care about me. You messaged mm-hmm. me, you didn't hear from me, you called me. You texted me and you sent me a postcard in the mail. It blows people's minds that we go to those kind of efforts to see that success. And and that's what people need. And that's why in this modern, technolo- this modern future that we're in, it's not about just automating everything. It's about creating an infrastructure and a system to where the right things are automated, but the human contact mm-hmm. is still there and available.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that so much. Um, basically, from what I've understood, you automate the things that don't bring the most value and then what you as a person bring the most value to that's what you do so the interpersonal contact is what brings the most value to your client so that's what you don't automate and you keep that i guess uh you know biological if you can say that is that
1: right yeah that's perfect that's exactly it will automate like you get modular out once a week. Automate that because it doesn't matter. You're going to consume them; they're going to be there. But then the messages we send, the human contact, the conversations, the meetings—that needs to be—that needs to come from a human. Even if it costs me more money and I make less in terms of like my profit margin, the fact that I'm mm-hmm. seeing successful customers across the board is what makes that possible. What, why we keep doing that? I think we're yeah. running into an economy where people take courses, and the course creator never checks in or doesn't really care because they're already right. got their money. For me, it's like that's the first step. If you pay me for something. Uh, you're you're stuck with me. We're going to work together in, until this thing works and and you can actually see the success you want to see and that's why we're so fiercely devoted to it. Yeah, that
0: mindset is very unique. I don't think a lot of other companies uh, share that and it, it probably sets you apart from your competition. I, I'm kind of curious, what are the most common setbacks that your clients run into during these programs?
1: yeah I think the most common set the number one most common setback that they run into is they see what they have to do and they think of it as too much so they get overwhelmed so then we have to pull them back and I give them a brass an analogy I had from a mentor a long time ago called the brass ring analogy and it's hey, we have this big lofty goal. We got a lot to do, but don't worry about that. That's 12 weeks from now. What we're going to do is we're going to set micro goals that we're going to achieve every week and we're going to celebrate those goals. And so once we shift into that mindset and away, away from, I have so much to do to, I'm going to achieve this and this every day and make it through the day, we create a whole new level of thinking for them and that translates to their life as well. And so that mm-hmm. takes care of usually the time management problem that we have, the ability, the inability to see the future of what's going on. And then we're able to break through the self-defeating thoughts that they're not gonna make it, the self-defeating thoughts that it's gonna be too much for them or the self-defeating thoughts that they're not worth it. And that's what really gives them the drive. And that's why mental health and habits are so important up front, because if we can break through those barriers, we're going to achieve success with these people because now they trust us and now we'll hold their hand along the way and there's no way to fail unless they move to like Sri Lanka throw their phone in the water because then I can't get a hold of them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I bet that doesn't happen that often, thank goodness. (laughs) No. Um, But you said also that uh, when you start out with a new client, you you start on an hour-long phone call and you find out where they're at. What are the criteria that might cause you to turn away a prospective client and how did you come, how, how did you, you know settle on that criteria?
1: Yeah. So over the past probably 10 years and two to 4,000 clients, we've seen who we think is going to be successful based on what we find out and who is not quite yet in the mindset to see that success just yet. And so what we do is we dive into the, the real reasons why you're on the phone call, the real, real reason why you want help. And so, for example, if someone comes in and they say, "I want to lose weight," that's not the real reason. That's not you don't mm-hmm. weight loss is not the reason you want you're in here today. So, we need to find out what the superficial and underlying what the underlying reason is. So, I'm going to ask you, well, why is that important? And people will say, oh, "Because because I, I, beach season's coming up." And then, okay, well, why is that? Why does that matter to you? Uh, a lot of people are getting ready for beach season, and so then the person will usually say, "Well, I have to wear a bikini." Okay, so I mean that's important. to A lot of people, but but why why would you want to lose weight to be in a bikini? And we come from this from, I call it the smart dummy mentality. I I can never assume anything. I can't assume or put words in your mouth. I need you to say it to me. And then we can understand that you've externalized it. So you understand the deep length of your pain and I understand it. And then we can both come to an agreement that we can work together. So then- once I've kind of figured this, okay, so you want to be in the bikini, it's beach season. All right. Well, why, why is it, why does any of that matter? Why is, why is that important to you? Well, because other people are out there and now we got deep enough to understand, okay, now we don't feel comfortable in our own skin. So now I'm starting to understand mm-hmm. what the problem is. Okay. Well, why does it matter what other people think about you? Well, because I don't feel good about myself. And that's when I, uh, that's at that point is when I've identified that this person is going to suffering. And they've been open and honest enough with me to actually externalize it. And often with these people, it's the first time they've told anybody this. And so then we get to a point where, okay, I I totally get where you're coming from. Uh, A lot of people are are in this position, but uh, what have you done to to work through this? And then we then we can have a deep and real conversation about where they're at, what they want to do, and what they're willing to do to be successful. And that's kind of and the criteria right there is what I use to identify the person who will give me that reason, and the person who tells me they just want the big booty bootcamp because or the whatever I just want to smile or something. But that's really the the criteria of success. If you can be real enough with me and open and honest enough with me to allow me to understand the deep reasons why you're in front of me today, then we can move forward.
0: I see. So if someone gets on the call and they don't really give an honest, genuine, sincere answer of the real reason why they're wanting to make these changes, that's a kind of an indicator that they're not really a good fit.
1: Yeah. It's an indicator that their problems aren't severe enough yet for them to even recognize or realize it. And in terms of the human psychology, if they're not in a state to recognize it yet, they're not in a state to find the solution they need to find because they won't pursue it hard enough to make it happen. And so it's my responsibility in that conversation to take you to the point to where you either can can say and externalize it or you can't. And if you can't, Mm it's fine. I'll give you some stuff to do, stay in contact with you and down the road, we can work together. But, but if you are, then we're in prime state to work together because now you're in prime state to really make a change. I see. Uh, so what's, what are some things that you do to try and
0: get to that deep level of conversation? Cause I feel like that's something that you just, it, it's hard to do with any stranger, you know,
1: Yeah. So what you have to do is in the beginning of the call and and during the call, you have to make, help them understand that you're their advocate. So like, I'm not here to enroll you in a a course. I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm here to be your advocate for success. And I will push you a little if I believe that you can be successful. And if I frame it that way, they understand where the conversation's headed. And funny enough, in terms of the human psychology, people are more likely to tell a stranger their darkest secrets than a a friend (laughs) or someone close to them, which is interesting. Uh, so at that point, then we, we just go into the conversation. My first question is what's not working in your life right now? And you get a superficial answer usually right up front. And so then all I do is it's a smart dummy concept. I will never assume and I won't put words in your mouth. So I'm going to ask you why a bunch of times. And I'm going to ask you pointed questions based on what you tell me. So if you tell me, uh, I, I really just, I want to think happy thoughts again, or I want to lose weight, I'm going to say, okay, that's probably, that's pretty important. I, I can understand why you'd be here for that. But why does that matter to you? And I'm going to continue asking you, so hold on, you said this, what did you mean by this? What did you mean by thoughts? What did you mean by happiness? What do you mean by, by losing weight? What do you mean? Why, why is 20 pounds important to you? And so if I can ask these pointed, these simple questions, I you start to go deeper and deeper and deeper because what happens is as you're answering these questions, you're rationalizing and you're creating the thought in your mind and and these people are starting to realize what's really happening and going on. So you're creating a a sort of epiphany with them. And that's when the light bulb really comes, comes out and you know that they understand the length and the severity of the pain they're in.
0: Wow. It sounds like these hour long conversations, you know, they can be a pivotal point even before you get to the course and I'm uh, I'm really curious. How did you come to the the smart dummy method that you use?
1: Yeah, so there's a method of conversation in terms of like the science of communication called transactional analysis. And it's the idea of understanding the different character states that people are in when they interact with you and how you can stay in, in certain character states and shift in and out. So there's a child character state. There's a parent character state. There's a neutral. And and so most people come in and either the child or the parent, but you have to be able to shift yourself in and out and be able to communicate people in a way to a little- Actual analysis has been pivotal in my ability to be able to communicate well. And the other thing that I started really getting deep on was cognitive behavior therapy and the idea behind being able to understand the cognitive reasons and functions behind people, why people do things and being able to get to the core root of the problem. And so when you look at cognitive behavior therapy in terms of like a therapeutic, like therapy, in terms of that realm, it's identifying the core belief that's happening. That's the real reason why things are happening that are happening. And so that's all that's what we're doing. We're identifying the core beliefs that's happened to you. And so these are pretty deep problems. Sometimes people were molested as children. Sometimes they were beaten and abused as children. Sometimes they had a parent who screamed at them every day. And that's what manifested for them to think they hate themselves today. Sometimes it might be going through school. Everybody called this person fat. And so they think that's how they're going to be forever. And so it's my prerogative and my study to understand that core belief and to really identify it based off of the transactional analysis training and experience I have. And call it cognitive behavior coaching. And, and that's really where we can dive deep into it, because you have to be able to not only ask pointed questions, but you have to be empathetic and neutral. You can't be overly, overly, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. You're totally in whatever, like that kind of mindset. It has to be. I call it like a come to Jesus frame. So it's, yeah. I'm in the, or the doctor frame. I'm in a frame to where I'm the expert and the professional. It's my duty and my responsibility right now to take you to your truth. If I don't take you to your truth on this phone call, regardless if you've paid me any money, then I failed you already. That's interesting. And I wonder if out of,
0: out of those techniques and, and the strategies you use, is there any way you can use any of those in in a situation where you're not necessarily looked on as a, a person of authority, so maybe you're speaking with your wife, girlfriend, whatever, and you're really trying to deepen your conversation. Are there any tactics from those uh, modalities, I guess is a way you call them um, to improve that conversation with your loved one or, or you know a person you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, CBT and especially understanding a technique called downward arrow technique, it really helps you to end transactional analysis. I would get the book Games People Play. I think it's by Eric Carlisle. That's mm-hmm. a really good one on um, transactional analysis and human communication techniques. But I think you can do this in terms of like communicating with your significant others. So one thing that happens is, is with, when communicating with our significant others, sometimes you just get an uh-huh, yep and you're, people are like half listening, and it, it really yeah. upsets the other person. So instead of, aha, uh-huh, yeah, it's, wow, that's interesting. Can you tell me a little more? Or, wow, that's interesting. What do you mean by that? Or, or "or what happened there? It's genuinely being curious and asking questions when they respond to you. Questions are the currency that allows conversation to move forward. So if we can ask questions, we allow that other person to talk more them now so just by saying oh that's interesting tell me a little more or or what did you mean by that or you went to the my significant other you bought 37 packages on Amazon today what did you get and then we start talking about <laughs> it she's like i have no idea and I'm like, when when did it happen? And so we go back and forth and talk and, and so then like I'm actually interested and she thinks I really care, which which I do. And so if you can shift away from uh, uh-huh, yeah, and then whatever you want to talk about, I always say when your significant other says something to you and it's something they're interested in, or there's having a conversation, ask a question, let them respond, ask another one, and then you get the opportunity to say your thing. And if you can work together on asking questions, you create a new modality of communication that opens up a lot in your relationship. And 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 all the realms that we have and we struggle with, we couples struggle with, they, in their communication, they struggle with the ability to communicate with each other, their sexuality with each other. And there's so many realms that if we just be open and we ask these questions and we actually be genuinely curious, that we can create a whole new dynamic and ecosystem around our ability to, be, to love each other and our ability to see that person that we initially fell in love with or that person, even if it's like your best friend, that person who you want to be friends with and hang out with and, and just interact with. That's what really changes the game.
0: Wow. I love that so much. And especially, I think uh, you mentioned being genuinely interested and curious in what the other person is saying. I think that is so key in any conversation you have that, uh, I mean, you can ask a thousand questions, but if you don't actually care, then they're going to see that from from my experience. So that's,
1: yeah. Yeah, I think that's huge. Because if you just say, if your significant other says, hey, I went to the store today, and you're like, oh, yeah, what kind of store? I don't sound like I care at all. It should yeah. be, oh well, yeah, I noticed you were got what 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 you what'd you buy? And then they're like, Oh, I went and got this and this and like, hey, can I see it? And now all of a sudden they're like, Oh, he actually cares about what I bought. And then now you're sitting in there and your significant others like you're watching her try on dresses or something, but you're like, you actually put her in a she was happy about you caring about what she's doing, what she's talking about, what her friends were saying, or whatever's happening. And, and your kids are this way too. They'll ask a million questions and people often get upset. But in reality, they're doing mm-hmm. exactly what I'm saying right now. They're asking you questions because they don't understand and they want to learn more and they're genuinely interested.
0: Exactly. I, I mean, just being genuine is, is the key. Um, kind of switching gears a little bit, I wanted to go back to one of the pillars you talked about. You talked about spirituality as being one of those pillars and i feel like that's very interesting especially because uh, a lot of people when they want to get fit or you know find ways to live a better life they don't necessarily go straight to spirituality what are some of the ways that you help people connect with spirituality
1: yeah, so it, I organize it into domains. So there's the, the work domain, there's there's the professional domain, there's the personal domain, there's the you domain, and there's the spirituality domain. And so what you have to do is in identifying, especially spirituality, and I've had some people who have a negative relationship with spirituality, they've followed it their whole lives, they've been accustomed to the, the church of sayings or whatever, and it puts them in a bad place. So what we need to do, and it's not my position to tell you to be spiritual or not, it's my position to help you understand your truth behind it. I, I, I I don't care what you believe, but I, under, I do care how it makes you feel. And so when I look at spirituality, we have to say, okay, what's your position right now? with—with with the? Do you believe in a creator? What's your position with the creator? How does it make you feel? What are the positive things you get out of this? What are the neutral and what are the negative? And then we create a stack. So we understand like, is this something that's bringing joy to my life? Is this something that's making me a better person? That's making me feel happy? Or is this something that's created a method of control around me? And if it's something that's creating a method of control and making you feel bad about yourself, then we need to remove that aspect and and switch gears and adjust it or make it a different way to where it does make you feel better if it's important about you. And so that's how we judge and identify and define spirituality. It's how does it make you feel? How do, how do those feelings impact you in your life? How does that impact, how does the do those feelings impact you socially with your, in your professional career? And is this putting you in a trajectory to where we're going to be successful? If not, let's revisit this. You can still be spiritual, but we need to understand where the method of control is coming from. So did you grow up in, in like, and I'm not judging spirit, any sort of religion at all, but if you, did you grow up in like a strict Catholic, Catholic environment to where you were afraid to sin and because you were afraid to sin now going through adulthood, you're, you're deathly afraid of anything that could per, cause that to happen. Now I've identified a core belief that you've developed because of that. And we need to break that core belief because it's not okay for you to feel that way. And it's not okay for any sort of institution to have control over you like that.
0: But I think that's so important, especially because we live in such a culture where you can't for, I mean, you, you just can't ask people about their religion for fear of offending someone or anything. Um, so I, I'm very impressed that you guys sit down and say, okay, what do you believe? Uh, what are the negative aspects that are harming your life and how can we make it so the negative aspects don't harm your life or they just aren't there anymore? So I think that's super important.
1: Yeah, I think it's huge. And and you're right. Everybody's afraid to talk about it. But if we're afraid to talk about something, it needs to be something that we talk about. And, and mm-hmm. one of our modules specifically defines this idea of communication. And so we talk about politics too, a little bit. And not at the fact that you should be whatever anybody is, but it's the fact that if someone says something, say you're, you're, uh, you're a Democrat and someone's a Republican, they say something. You are, you're not allowed to call them an idiot because they're not wrong. They're not right either. They're, and this is one of my things in one of our modules, actually. There is no right or wrong. There is no correct or incorrect. There is only the construct you've created in your mind from the way you grew, you grew up and the experiences that you lived in your life. Someone else's experiences are radically different. And if, because they believe and see the world differently and they grew up differently, they're going to have different beliefs, thoughts, and ideas. And they're not wrong. So it's not your prerogative. It's not your, you can't tell them they're, an idiot. You can't call them the names that you call them. You have to say, that's an interesting statement. I don't understand. Can you tell me more? And you open up a whole new world of possibilities. You can now communicate in an effective way in a political way without getting into a fight or getting into a screaming match or, or, or those things that happen. Same thing with religion. You can talk about it freely if you understand the mechanism and transactions of communication between people.
0: I think that's so important as well, especially because in in that dialogue of you coming together, I've had experiences like this at my place of work, where you know, two separate instances where I had political discussion with a coworker, and one instance we got heated for lack of a better term. <laughs> but the other the other instance, um, instead of you know, we, we both focused on keeping our emotions down so we could have a constructive dialogue, and I think we both learned a little bit more about each other and we came away as better friends compared to that previous instance. So I think it's very important to, you know, be able to have that dialogue.
1: Yeah, it's huge. And be at the point where you can have that dialogue. And if you recognize the other person isn't capable of having that dialogue, agreeing to disagree. And Hey, cool, man. Mm -hmm. I totally get it. Let's just be friends and, and, What do you want to do for dinner? Let's go grab some beers. Just switch gears, change the conversation, change the flow, and understand that sometimes you you can't, you don't have to be right. Being right isn't a badge of honor. It's not going to take you anywhere. You're not going to get a gold star or anything. It's just move on if you need to. It's okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
0: I think the way you phrased that was magnificent uh, because sometimes we do fight to be right as if we're going to win the Medal of Honor, but really at the end of the day, we're just right and we've probably hurt some people's feelings. So I thought that was magnificent how you phrased that. Um, (laughs) Kind of switching gears a little bit now. So the first year of your business, you were sleeping on a couch. What prompted you to start the business and how did you go about making it so you weren't sleeping on the couch for, you know, the last 10 years, but instead you made it to a successful business.
1: Yeah. So when I was in the med school route and I I saw that the route was pain management. It wasn't being able to be the mitigation factor between removing it or preventing it. And when mm-hmm. I saw that, and I, I still remember sitting there precepting in one of my internships, there was a guy on the, on the chair and the doctor was like, did you do anything to, to, to eat healthy, work on some of the things we worked on? He said, no, I'm still eating my steak and taters and I would like more pills. <laughs> and that was the moment of impact for me. I, I cannot do this for the rest of my life. And so I shifted gears. We opened up our wellness facility. We called Stone Age Fuel that I actually had a blog. I started from a blog during this biochem experience. And the blog was about the fallacies in the current world of supplements and the current world of fitness and wellness and all those things and what was correct and what wasn't. So I would take like probiotics into the biochem in the microbiology lab, and I would plate them and check it to see if they were actually in there. And often they weren't. So we blog about it. And then I would take protein uh-huh. powders. Are, are the BCAAs actually in here? And they usually weren't. So we blog about it. <laughs> and so I'm sure the companies hated us. But most of the people reading it loved it. And so we got invited to do seminars all over the country and talk about it. We called it the Fluff to Tough seminar originally. And so from that in 2013, we decided to go into our wellness facility. We were like, hey, let's get off the road and let's open up a facility. It's probably way better. It turns out first year we slept on the couch because we didn't recognize that running a brick and mortar business requires staffing, it requires systems, it requires operational capacity and efficiency. And From that, we slept on the couch the first year of business because we were doing everything. I didn't recognize or realize all the things that we had to do. And so after that first year and after my little sister called me a vampire, I realized that we had to either shut the thing down or pull ourselves out of what we were doing because what we were doing was not sustainable. And my significant other, she's still with me today. We're together. We have a little 18-month-old girl, but she started this thing with me. So that tested our relationship, and we're still around. (laughs) And and so as we got through this first year, I said, okay – We're pulling out from our daily operations in the business. And so we had to to hire staff. We had to create systems and efficiencies and operations around everything we did. So we had to open up like Google Drive Docs and have a doc for every single operation we have, every single process we had, everything that we could make more efficient or less efficient, create constraints around all the things we're doing. So it made us solve problems faster, hire staff to put in our places. And then we had a business that was operating at optimal capacity. And, And so then we did this until about 2015 when I realized, that the economy was shifting from brick and mortar to more of a, an on your, online wellness in your pocket type of thing. And that's mm-hmm. what we shifted and created what we call the Angular Momentum Method and the six pillars program that we deliver online in our hybrid format, like we've been talking about with the human contact and everything, 100% focused around retention and success metrics, but delivered online. And, and that's how we shifted into what we're doing today. And, and so nowadays, my, my philosophy is you have to work well in three different areas. Number one is people. If you and I, my philosophy behind people is hire for mindset, train for talent. If I get the kid who comes in and will do anything to be part of the program and and will succeed and and does awesome in the interview, but doesn't quite have the skill set, I will train him in everything he needs to do or her. If I get the person who comes in and isn't that coachable, but is really good, they will be the last person to get the position. So number one is people. Number two is efficiency. If our operations are operating at an efficient capacity, if we're inefficient in the way we're producing content and the way we're working, we have to adjust and modify or we're not going to be around. And the third pillar is money. So money has to be there. Money has to be available. There has to be a profit margin because if the business isn't profitable, well, then we can't help anybody because we can't even help ourselves.
0: That last point, I think is one that a lot of people maybe feel guilty about prioritizing, which I I am very happy that you, you identified that because if you are not bringing in money and some of that money is staying with you, then you're not you, you don't have a profitable business and it's so funny i I've worked in uh different jobs before where I would talk with business owners about their marketing and it's so funny how so many of them just don't understand that concept that you need positive cash flow so um
1: exactly I, it's huge, yeah. And I tell people, I mean, I talk about money with with, with our clients and everything, everybody. I'm like, hey, look, if, if I'm paid as a professional and if I can operate in a professional capacity, you get a professional experience. If I charge you $47 because I'm afraid of money, I'm going to be able to sit in a lawn chair and drink Keystone Light, but that's all I can do because I can't afford anything. I can't afford to even help you. And that's mm-hmm. the mindset business owners get. Do. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're helping people with marketing, guess what? You're changing the course of that business owner's life. You should be paid as a professional. If you're an accountant, Guess what? You're obviously, a professional—you've gone, you've gone through all these things. So now you need to be paid as a paid as a professional. No matter what you're doing, if you're in a professional capacity, you're giving a high level service to change someone's life or business. You need to be paid in a way to where you have your life changed by the gratitude that they give you for doing that.
0: Exactly. Uh, and and going back to what you had said previously about people, you said you train, you look for mindset, and then you you train. I don't I don't remember how you phrased it exactly, um, but. How do you identify the people with the right mindset?
1: Yeah, I do the same thing that I do when I interview new potential clients. We have an interview. We, why, so why are you here today? And I, I look at their resume and I rip it in half and throw it in the trash because it doesn't tell the story. <laughs> it's like this perfect little picture that's painted of this random person. So yeah. we have a conversation. Hey, tell me about yourself. And they start to go into it. Well, that's interesting. What did you mean by that? And we go deeper and deeper and deeper until I really identify the core beliefs behind this person and their motivations. And so once I understand that, I I, I have a really good indication of how this person is going to be able to move forward in terms of mindset and how coachable they are, because I see the passion that they have, or I see the, the experiences they've had that brought them to where they're at. And that puts us in a place to where we're really capable of hiring the right people at the right time with the right mindset and then training them for the talent, because Talent comes and goes. Talent's easy to easy to find. Talent's easy to build and train. Mindset isn't.
0: Wow, that is so impressive. Especially, I, I can imagine myself sitting there in that uh, interview and seeing my resume be ripped in half, and then having <laughs> someone who you know focuses in cognitive behavioral therapy start analyzing, not, maybe not analyzing, but like asking me questions, try and figure out who I am as a person. I would be very nervous, but it would be a very good experience, I think. So that's impressive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. And one of my favorite questions is that you ask all the normal questions, like what's your biggest, what's your biggest point of, what's your biggest failure? And uh-huh. it's always a superficial point of failure someone brings up. And so I'll say, okay, well that's interesting, but what, what do you mean by that? And then so once you ask them that numerous times, all of a sudden you get this like real point of failure and you got the real person (laughs) who comes out and you're like, okay, now I, now we can be friends. Now we're getting to it.
0: (laughs) Wow. That is so awesome. Um, Well, it's been wonderful having this conversation with you. We're kind of getting down to our our final, I guess, time with each other. So I want to ask a a few more questions. One, um, I didn't prepare you for this one, but just to help our audience kind of get to know you as a person, what sort of things do you do in your free time?
1: In my free time, I have a couple things that I like to do. Number one, I like to hang out with my my daughter. She's 18 months old. She's like the coolest person I never knew I needed around me. So we go (laughs) to gymnastics once a week. We go to swim lessons once a week. And we just have a, a blast. And so that's kind of on that side. And then the other things I like to do weekly are Muay Thai kickboxing and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So I've been doing those wow. since about 2009. And then I like to, at the end of the evenings, I, I always cook with the family. So me and my significant other, I prepare these like awesome meals every night and stuff like that. So I would say it's the daughter, the family, and then the martial arts that I really do in my free time. And then outside of that, it's travel. I think I've been to... Um, the last year alone, we were in like the U S Australia, the Netherlands, Canada, Hawaii, (laughs) that still counts as the U S, but it's kind of different. Um, but so (laughs) yeah. Now now that I have my little girl, uh, my next big thing is to get her into other cultures, get her up to Canada a little bit, get her to Australia, get her to the Netherlands. It just, it opens up your mind so much. And I'm so b- just blessed to have the opportunity to be able to travel because it creates so much more empathy inside your head around other people and other cultures. And you get out of the idea of I'm here and into the idea of I'm a citizen in this global world. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that is so awesome. Um, well, to help our audience take action on what we talked about today based on our conversation what one to three action items would you give them to do today or this week to improve their lives
1: so here's what i i I think people should do you all of us have been struggling with something and we've been thinking about a hard decision for a long time every one of us listening to this has been thinking about something they know they want to do something but they don't because they're afraid they're afraid of what could happen they're afraid of what could go wrong they're afraid of all the potential pitfalls but my recommendation to you is is do it Make the decision to make that hard decision happen because it's not just going to be the bad that could happen. You have, you have to think about the other positions. What's the best that could happen? What's the probable scenario that's going to happen? And what's the worst? And def- what's going to happen is something right in the middle. But by making that decision, you're going to live in a place to where you finally put yourself in a position to be exactly what you want to be and be where you want to be. If you don't do this, Fast forward 10 years from now and you're going to regret not doing it. You're going to regret not making that decision, not taking action. So the question you should always ask yourself for is in 10 years, will this matter? If it's going to matter in 10 years, you need to make that decision right now because it's going to impact the course of your entire life. If it's not going to matter, stop worrying about it and drop it. But I think for most of us, we have this one decision, this one thing we want to do. We've always thought about doing, whether it's travel, where it's switching careers, opening up a business, just do it. Worst thing that could happen is it fails or you just don't do it. Best thing that could happen is you achieve your dreams, you achieve the success you want, and you stop worrying about being miserable. You stop worrying about being complacent. You stop worrying about living in pain. You stop worrying about living in those positions in that state of mind where you don't think you can take any action, where you don't feel good about the state you're in. Well, um, I feel sufficiently motivated that I really want to go out and (laughs) get it done.
0: So thank you for that. Um, But Chandler, how can... How can our audience reach out to you, get to know what you're up to, and uh, support you?
1: Yeah, so I'm a conversational guy. I like to have a conversation with everybody. So if you want to get in contact with me, go to my Facebook page. It's facebook.com forward slash chanslogic. That's C-H-A-N-S-L-O-G-I-C. And if you want my six pillars of wellness, we have a free masterclass you can watch. Go to message me from that page, the word law, mess, or don't message law, message me the word the word six pillar, six pillars, and I'll send you over the, the free training from our six pillars. If you don't want the free training, just message me a bunch of questions and I'll respond. Like I said, I automate certain things, but you're going to get the real me. I'm going to send you pictures of my golden doodle and me and my daughter and voice memos and stuff. So you're going to get a real person if you interact with me on that page. Excellent. Well, thanks so
0: much, Chandler, for being on the show. I have enjoyed it immensely. It was such a fun conversation. And uh, you're incredibly intelligent, which, uh, I mean, I, I can perceive that just by listening to you. So thanks for being on the show.
1: Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I always tell people it's not that I'm intelligent. it's I'm just too dumb to stop learning. Things just <laughs> keep
0: happening. <laughs> I love that. That is That is such a great saying. So thanks, Chandler. Appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate
1: everybody out there listening. Have a good one
0: another quick pause on the show, guys. I know we talk a lot about Audible, but really, um, I was in the doctor's office the other day, and I didn't have anything to do because I was waiting for my wife. She had an appointment, so we were in the waiting room. And guess what I did since I didn't have anything to do? I did nothing. So I ended up taking a nap. But imagine if I had had an audiobook present on my earpods. I didn't have my earpods. But imagine if I did, how much knowledge I could have gained. I would be a genius right now. Okay, probably, probably not, but the fact of the matter is we have so much time in the day that goes wasted because we don't have audiobooks to listen to. But you do now. So you can go to audibletrial.com slash the hard thing podcast. Get a free audiobook today and never waste another moment ever again. So go to audibletrial.com trial.com slash the hard thing podcast. Get a free audiobook today. In the meantime, let's get back to today's show. Well, thanks so much guys for listening to another episode of the Hard Thing Podcast. Um it, it, I, I just love having you guys here with me. Thanks so much for sticking in on this journey and hopefully we've helped you somewhat. Uh, if we have, go ahead and share this podcast with someone you know. And also reach out to us on Facebook and our Instagram. Tell us what sort of hard things you're doing in your life. Tag us in any hard things you've accomplished. We're at the Hard Thing Podcast. Um, hopefully we can help give you better tools, better techniques, tricks, resources, whatever you need. So reach out to us. Tell us what you want. But thanks so much again, guys, for... Just listening and being a part of the show. Um, Keep doing hard things. Because you will overcome average. Hey guys, one quick announcement for today's show and you might have heard this already even in today's episode, but uh, I have an awesome opportunity for you guys. Once in a lifetime, you have the opportunity to have dinner with myself and a covert CIA operative. That's right, an undercover spy. Uh, My guest Andrew Bustamante has been gracious enough to offer himself up Uh, as guest for a dinner with myself and one lucky audience member. So if you want to sign up for that, make sure you hit the link in the show notes below. As well, you can go to Instagram and hit the link in my bio at The Hard Thing Podcast. This is First Come, First Serve, and there's only one slot. So whoever signs up first will have the opportunity to come to Utah and have dinner with myself and Andrew Bustamante. It's an exciting opportunity. It's one that you'll be able to brag about to your friends of being able to sit down, having dinner with an undercover secret agent. So don't waste any time. Go ahead and sign up in the link in the show notes or go to Instagram at The Hard Thing Podcast and click the link in my bio and you'll find all the relevant information there. Uh, So look forward to having dinner with you.